Uh, let me say, uh, so glad you're here. And I know with families in the room, kids in the room, there's babies in the room, y'all, let's, 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 let's enjoy this like a Christmas Eve service. Remember all those that we had just recently and families in the room, babies could be crying. If your child gets a little restless, I mean this mom and dad, let's take some courage. But uh, you can get up and walk them around. Or if you need to take a stretch, you need to go to the bathroom. Let's do that. I know that we have come to this part of the service where if they're going to go restless, it's going to be now <laughs> as I stand up here talking. So you have total freedom to do what you need to do to care for your family. Take your Bibles or your Philippians booklet. We're going right back into Philippians, our study through this book. Go to Philippians chapter 3. We're in verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce all allegiances and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen, that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, so help me God." Uh, my mother spoke those words and some others when I was a baby, newly born, at her naturalization ceremony in 1960, this oath of allegiance making her a citizen of the United States. Now, her citizenship at a profound level you know, changed her, her destiny. It changed her identity. It changed... Uh, certainly our family. And knowing my mom, you know, mom is Japanese, and, and knowing her, I know that she took that oath as just even in the Japanese culture. She took that oath with tremendous humility and gratitude. She was saying yes, wasn't she? She was saying yes to her husband, to my dad and her children. I was the last of the three children uh, to, that she bore. Um, I also thought about this, you know, we... We don't often think about our citizenship. Most of us in the, most in the room born, uh, born as citizens, we don't often consider literally these obligations and responsibilities that we take as citizens, much less, and this was striking to me, much less what we choose to forsake, at least someone who's not born a citizen. Like my mom forsook some significant things in taking that oath of allegiance. While most of us don't think about citizenship, I'm telling you, we're gonna think about it today because Paul has us thinking about our citizenship in a very profound way, in such a way that he invites us not just to think about it every once in a while, but I'm gonna suggest as we move through our text that we think about our citizenship every moment of every day, that our citizenship would actually shape the decisions we make all throughout our day and every day of our life. Now, by way of context, let me say the, the passage that we're in here, we're picking up, um, it's the beginning of the end. Now, you say, what do you mean the beginning of the end? What I mean is that 
you know, this letter that Paul has written to the Philippian church, you know, it's a, it's a full letter, but within any letter, there's the main section, right? There's the beginning, there's the end, but then there's the main section. We're coming to the end of the main section. And the way we note that is when Paul wrote this letter in chapter one, verse 27, he says, stand firm in one faith, in one spirit. Stand firm, 127. And then we come right here to where we're ending our text today. Look with, you, look with me, if you will, in your Bibles, chapter four, verse one. It's also on the screen. But Paul says, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So you see that, you see the letter, it's got this main section that says stand firm and it ends with stand firm. And everything we've been walking through over the last few weeks in our study through uh, uh, Philippians or prior to Advent, it's about, well, how do you stand, what, what does stand firm look like? What does that mean? Well, we're, he's wrapping up his thoughts on that topic today. This is an interesting verb, by the way. It's, it's just one Greek word, stand firm. It's one Greek word. And the idea is not... Um, like stand still or even, you know, stand guard, like just you're standing guard and, and nothing's going on, but like, like your, your security, you stand in that way. It's the, the idea behind this Greek word is stand firm as the enemy approaches. Like you can stand firm as it's coming on to you. <laughs> Stand firm in that place. And so you see when you go that way, whoa, whoa. This is stand firm in the midst of battle. Stand firm in the struggle, in the hardship. Now, I know for a fact that many of you in the room are at places and in circumstances where the enemy's marching, where, where you're facing things you had hoped you would never face, be it physical, be it death, be it, broken relationships, be it financial you know, struggles. You see what I'm saying? You're, you're, we're all facing battles, not like it's out there somewhere. No, it's on you. And so what Paul is describing here when he says stand firm is, well, stand firm when, when, when the tidal wave is right there and you're standing going, it's going to wipe me out. Stand firm when you, you go, I, I'm not gonna make it. He says, stand firm. It's what he's been saying and it's how he concludes this main part of his letter. And the question for us, I believe, would be how? Now he's been talking about it, but he's gonna get very specific. How do I stand firm in this place? I'll say this. There are multiple ways that we stand firm. It's multifaceted, certainly. But I, I wanna suggest that Paul puts a ribbon on it here with one word, citizenship your citizenship. You go to your citizenship. See, for Paul, that's not just a legal term that changes your legal status. No, no, no. It's a spiritual reality that enables us to stand firm in Christ in the midst of and in the face of the difficulties of a fallen world and living in these fallen Bodies. So with that, look in your Bible, follow along as I read it. We'll be taking verses 17 down to 21 as, as our text. And of course, chapter four, verse one is the back end of our text that I've already read. This is God's word to us today. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes 
on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the living word of God for us today. Amen. Now, let me give you three words. Uh, I'm gonna summarize this, pat, these pat, we're gonna go through it verse by verse, but I got three words that I, I, I think hold what he's speaking of here. I'll put them on the screen. This is the outline we'll walk through. The words are imitate, avoid, and await. There's a, there's a lot more I could say on those, but I, I just wanted to stick, keep it to one word for now. Imitate, that's verse 17. Avoid, that's 18 and 19. And then 20 and 21, await. So let's, let's take them one at a time. Look at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eye on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Y'all imitate. If, if Paul's saying anything, and in particular, I'll summarize in this passage, uh, it says no one can follow Jesus, like no one can follow Jesus alone. No one can follow Jesus by themselves. Paul's not saying to one person in this particular text, you know, you need to follow Jesus, one-on-one mentoring type of thing. No, no, no. He's speaking to the church as a whole and he says, brothers and sisters, he's saying, as as a group, I'll say it like this, as a group, follow me and as I'm I'm following Christ, make no mistake, they're following Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, imitate me as I follow Jesus. So he's saying to the group, as a group, follow me and look and find others who are following Christ like I am, and y'all, you all follow them. There's this sense to which, and I want to remind us that you, you cannot grow in your faith you cannot mature in your faith. You, you, you do not, Christ is not shaped in you fully when it's just you. You, you follow him with others, with others. And it's why we'll, and it's why we do as a church. What do we do? We, off, we, we seek to provide these contexts and environments where you, with other people, can follow Jesus. That's what a Bible study, a discipleship group, that's what those things are. They provide you the opportunity to follow Jesus, but to do that with others. So, you know, just, well, how do I stand firm when life's bearing down? You know, the bottom line, what he says here is, well, yes, yes, you follow, you follow Jesus, you follow others who are following Christ, but you do it with other people. You do it with other people. And then secondly, 18 and 19, I'm just gonna grab the second word, avoid. 
there are also, there, there's not just people to imitate. Paul says there are people to avoid, 18 and 19. For many of, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. I, I started to title these two verses a sober warning. <laughs> I stuck with the one words. It's a sober warning is what this is. One of the reasons that we imitate Paul and others Think about following. We have others with us and we together, we're gonna follow Paul. And by the way, you follow Paul by reading his letters. You follow others who are following Paul because you look at their life and you go, they're following Christ, I'm gonna follow him. So we together, so we, hey, we're lockers and we're gonna follow. And the reason, the reason together we follow those who are following Christ because if we don't, then Paul gives one option. Then you will follow those who aren't. That's it. That. Or this, he doesn't say, and there's a third way and a fourth way. No, we, if we're not following those who are following Christ, we will in time follow those who are, as he says, enemies of the cross. Now, uh, scholars are debated on who's, who are these enemies of the cross? Are these the Judaizers he spoke of earlier? They're false teachers. Um, are, are, are they Christians? Are they not? Here, here's where... Here's where the consensus seems to lie. It's best to understand these enemies of the cross to be those, uh, because of the context, you know, the familiarity. He says, you, you know, I've talked to you about them. He's talking to them as if he knows them. So it's best to take them as those who are in, in and around the church at Philippi who profess to follow Christ. He says the cross, who profess to trust the gospel, the cross of Christ but by their behavior, it doesn't line up. Notice on the text, it's interesting. He doesn't say, because uh, many, he doesn't warn them of other people's beliefs. He warns them by looking at those people's behavior. He, look at the way they behave. He's got some really hard things to say about them. I'll talk about it in a moment. But this is, this is, who's he talking about? Who are enemies of the cross? Number one, let me say this, on a, on a global scale, everyone's an enemy of the cross. We're all born enemies of the cross. It simply means we're all born resistant to the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again. And it's faith in what Christ has done that saves us. All of us are born repelled by that. We don't, we don't, we wanna do our own thing. You see, so we're all enemies. When you put your faith in Christ, the cross is no longer your enemy, is it? So on a global scale, yes, everyone's an enemy of the cross, but he's speaking here in particular, we think by the context of those who are in church who say they're Christ's followers, but by the way they live, no, they're enemies of the cross. Now I wanna be careful here. Anyone who's following Christ, can I say this? You're not gonna follow him perfectly you're still gonna sin. You're still gonna make mistakes. 
There'll be times in your life you still choose evil. There'll be times in your life when you're not standing firm. You know, there'll be times in your life you're not following Christ in that moment. You know, we all do that. So he's not talking about perfection of those following Christ. And he's not talking about these, he's, what he's talking about with these people is those who would profess Christ, but, but the arc of their life, the, the, over the span of their life, as you know them, it doesn't line up. That's what he's talking about. Not all the mistakes we make when we repent and we return back to Christ. No, but someone who says I'm following Christ, but the, 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 the character, their, their life is characterized in a way that has nothing to do with the character of Jesus. And the warning you see is they're in church with you. They're in your small group. I don't have anyone in mind, please hear me when I say this, but I just say it because it's true. At Fellowship Bible Church, you're here. There are people in our, that, that we can't be a church this size. There's no church that doesn't have those who, who may think they're Christians or profess it, but their life doesn't match it. Paul's very specific in 2 Timothy. Don't turn there, I'll read this passage. He writes to Timothy, who's a pastor. And he says to, to Timothy, there's some people I want you to be aware of. And it's, he says, they, he talks about how they behave. And he says, they're boastful, they're proud, they love themselves and their money, they're reckless, they betray friends, they love pleasure rather than God. He goes on and on. And then he says this in 2 Timothy 3, verse five. They will act righteous, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. There's no gospel in them. They've not put their faith in Christ. He says, stay away from people like that. It's the same warning. You see, for Paul, listen, profession of faith matters. We, 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 you say, you believe in your heart, and you say with your tongue, Jesus Christ is Lord, I believe Christ. Profession matters, but Paul will have nothing to do, though, nothing to do with those who would profess a faith, but who wouldn't in time show that faith to be real, and I'm just gonna tell you, by their behavior, <laughs> it matters. By their conduct of faith. He says their end is destruction. That means in, at, at the end, they will experience separation from God forever. It's not they're destroyed forever, they're annihilated. No, their end is destruction. Their end is loss, eternal loss of relationship with God's separation from him. Their God is their belly. Belly, a metaphor here for the inner life. Uh, I think we could say this because we talk about it a lot, below the waterline. It's not just up here in your mind and choices, but what's going on in your desires and your emotions? What's going on in your motives? What's the inner world? This really matters, right? And he's saying their, their belly, their motives, they, they satisfy their own appetite. So they take their, the fallen desires of the heart and whatever they want, they get it. That's not anything that's not God to satisfy. They're gonna satisfy their belly, their appetite. They glory in their shame. What should be embarrassing at the least, if not shameful, they glory in it. They brag about it. It's, they, they show the world, so to speak. I was talking to a, a young lady in our body who's in the first year of teaching and I've got a daughter who's heading in that direction. And so we wanted to, Lisa and I wanted to hear about just kind of how her first year's going and teaches at a high school here in our county. And, and you know, it was things that I expected to hear. Our kids have been out of high school for some time now, but of course we went through public schools, all, you know, all three of our kids. 
But she talked about, she said, well, you know this whole TikTok thing that's going on? And I go, no, I have no idea. I'm not around school. I don't get the messages. You know, I don't get Carol Birdsong's things. Does she still send out things on weather alerts? Yeah, yeah, everybody wants to hear from Carol. We, you know, I never get that anymore. So um, I said, no, I have no idea. She goes, well, Lloyd, it's, it's nationwide that, that kids are taking videos, TikTok videos of themselves, vandalizing the school. Like it's a big, they're bragging. It's like, watch me rip the toilet off the wall, literally. And they're TikTok. And see, that's like they're bragging of things that shouldn't write. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm older. I'm a dad. I mean, it made the hair on the back of my neck just stand. You know, you just want to go, are you kidding me? She goes, no, no, this is what they do. And you're going, that's, that, they glory in what should bring shame. Now, it's easy to kind of, pick on the kids. We all did stupid stuff, right, when we were in high school, and so I don't want to just pick on them, but I, I, I'll, I'll pick on myself and pick on us as adults to go, this is going to, I'm not, again, I'm not thinking of anybody, but I just know that I'll think of myself. What do I do with the ways that I can get obsessed with reality TV? I mean, really, really, some of the shows that we, we get hooked on and we watch and the things they're doing, the things, you know what I'm saying? And we kind of, oh, well, it's just, but I got to say, wait, wait, my glory, that, that's shameful. The ratings are amazing, right? Why? Because we're watching it. That's convicting to me. It's a sober warning. Paul's telling the Philippians, avoid these people. We must look to certain people and imitate them. You know, can I say this, y'all, spiritual growth, it's not enough just to read your Bible. That's baseline, and boy, do we encourage that. And boy, is that necessary. But that's just baseline. He's literally saying, look, find some flesh and blood and follow them. That's part of your spiritual growth too. People to imitate, there's people to avoid, and then he concludes by speaking of a savior. We await. Look at verses 20 and 21 but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is a profound statement of identity. When someone puts their faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, you trust that what he did, he did for you. You understand that you, you are made a citizen of heaven. Um, I mean, I, you know, it makes it, honestly, it makes the oath of allegiance to the United States or any other country pale in comparison to the reality that just happened to you when you place your faith in Christ, you're a citizen of heaven. And, and what I hope we see here is Paul grounds citizenship, grounds us in citizenship as that way in which we stand firm in the face of great battles. Now, the concept here, when the Philippians heard this, I, I want to take us back because we don't quite hear it the way that they did. And that's always what we do in Bible study. We got to go, well, how did they hear it, you know, originally? And, and, and we got to get back to the beginning of Philippians when we talk through some of this. Around 42 AD, that area is conquered uh, by the Romans and they take, the, the Romans take this little piece of ground called Philippi. And they say, 
that piece of dirt right there, that's Rome. That's what a colony is. The, Rome's rule and reign exists right here. If you're a Roman citizen here, look, you're 4,600 miles from Rome and eight countries between you. But if you're here, all the rights and privileges of Rome, they get special taxation, you know, legal rights, etc. They're yours, even though you are miles from home. Now, here's the thing about this Roman colony and these Roman citizens. Those Roman citizens here, they did not pine away and live to someday get back to Rome. Rome didn't want them to come back there. They needed to stay here. That's why they colonized it. So those Roman soldiers wouldn't go back to crowded Rome. They'd stay here. No, so those Roman citizens from this place in a foreign land, they would live right here. Not pining to get there, but to live in such a way to show all of these foreign people the glory and the goodness and the rightness of Rome. Now connect those dots, you see. For those of us who are citizens of heaven, I know the word colonizing and colonies got really bad wrap around it right now, but it's the concept that was real and, and that we understand this. If you're a Christian, you understand you're on this planet, but you're... You're a little mini colony of heaven. When I say heaven, we, we, we must think biblically on this. It's not this thing or place that's floating around out there invisible somewhere. It's not. It's, it is the place of God's rule and reign unfettered with his people. That's what heaven is. But what God has done and says is if you're in Christ, where you are is a heavenly colony. And rather than live in this place pining for heaven, God says, live right where you are and show all around you, all the foreign, live as, what, what does he call us? What, what does Paul call us in other letters? Aliens and strangers, sojourners. So live there in that colony as a Christ follower and live in such a way that, that the foreigners in the land who don't know God, they see the glory and the goodness and the righteousness and the grace of our God in heaven. Does that make sense? So we live in such a way, y'all, not... I can't wait to get to heaven. No, live right where you are because one day Jesus returns and guess what he brings? Heaven, where? Right out there on the dirt, on this planet. We don't go away to heaven. He brings the reign and rule, the full reign and rule to this planet. And we live until then? How do we live until then? Awaiting 
that king when he comes, because he won't come as a baby as we just celebrated. He'll come reigning and ruling as conqueror. And yes, he'll set all things right. Amazing what Paul says he will do here. And we don't often think about this. He will transform our lowly bodies into his glorious resurrection body. Y'all, don't, you know, don't, you know, the, the Greeks would, would think, you know, anything material's evil, everything needs to be spiritual. No. Material's God-given. Well, who you're looking at, Lloyd, Shadrach, my flesh and blood, this body that I'm in, this physical body, it, you know, one day when I die, it'll disintegrate and be gone. But the hope, the hope of the Christ follower is that my body, your body, will be reconstructed, reconnected to your soul in a resurrection body. Paul knew nothing of heaven or life with God, disembodied. And it reminds us, y'all, that people matter. Your, 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 your body matters. And it'll be like Christ's resurrected body. This is our hope. Now, when I say this, think about it this way. There's continuity and discontinuity in this. What I mean is there's some things that are like Christ, or, or, that continue like they are now, and some things are, 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 are way different, but... Think about Christ in his resurrected body, post-resurrection. Think about the things he did. He walked, he talked. They touched him. So you see, it's an embodied resurrected body. They recognized him. So we, we, you know, there's a sense to which, you know, if you look like this now and you don't want to look like this, I'm sorry, you're going to look like this, but it's going to be without sin or, you know, anything. He got hungry. And all of us who love to eat go, yeah, you know, so you go, your resurrected body will get hungry. You go, I don't want it. But can you imagine what you get to eat? Resurrected body. He also, speak, you know, he also was in a room. He showed up in a room out of nowhere. Like the doors were locked. And there he was with the disciples. He walked for miles with two disciples. They talked. I mean, it'd be just like me walking with one of you. And we talked one and we sit down and I say, hey man, let's get something to eat. And it'd be like you going, okay, let me pray. You prayed, and next thing I know, you're gone. <laughs> you know? That was his resurrected body. And so you go, you go, Lloyd, am I gonna, are we gonna be able to pull that off? That's what the Bible says. I'll put it this way because there's a lot of mystery here that we don't know, but I believe this and the Bible teaches it because Paul says, mine can't conceive, I can't, I can't perceive all that God has for us. I will say this. And it came to me because I just watched the movie. I just went, we went over the holidays. I went with my two girls and saw um, Spider-Man No Way Home, which, which I'm not even into the Marvel universe, but apparently it's a universe. You know, you gotta know all this stuff, but it was amazing. But if, if the Marvel universe spent the next thousand years creating characters who did this, that, and the other, and it's crazy. It wouldn't begin to touch what God has in store for those who are his in resurrected bodies forever and ever and ever. Which brings us to our invitation to joy. Let me throw it up here on the screen. Now we do this because we know that studying the Bible doesn't change us. Knowing the Bible doesn't change us. It's living the scripture that changes us. And so I'm gonna invite you right now by the power of the Holy Spirit to ask the Holy Spirit, what, 
how do I apply this text? And I'm gonna give you a prompt here just to help you. But how might your citizenship in heaven enable you to stand firm right where you are right now? And all of us are in different places. In a relationship you need to initiate, like the person you need to follow. In a relationship you need to avoid. Perhaps as you await Christ in a difficult situation. How does your citizenship inform that? And what is the spirit calling you to trust him for in your world right now? Would you take a moment and do that? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back out. We have a table to come to and a song to sing, but I want you thinking about that for a moment. May I invite you to take the elements for the Lord's table. I hope you were able to grab those. If you weren't, then just go out back right now, out back doors and have elements back there. You know, we take this table each week and uh, we, we, we paused during um, Advent because we wanted part of our preparation for the birth of Christ to be our anticipation of his coming and our chance to celebrate right now in this new year, having, having gone through Advent, that we now come to this table of Christ. Take the bread and, and the cup. Um, I'll just say this. This is after the last service, um, someone came to me and said, you know, my grape juice was a little, I said, was it fermented? I mean, was it alcohol? She goes, a little bit of that. And I said, well, are you thanking me or are you complaining? <laughs> so just down it. I don't, it's not gonna, let's just take it. Oh, me. Oh, so, so when we come to this table, we come to the one who broke, gave his body broken for us on the cross, who shed his blood, life is in the blood, so he gave his life for us. I spoke earlier about when Jesus comes, and, and this is appropriate to go here. Oh, I'm be, oh, be, oh God, come quickly, so you, you know, remove all disease and death and hardship and pain and loss and brokenness. He will come to set all things right. And it's appropriate that we await that, isn't it? That we long for that. However, as Paul writes in this passage, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. May I say and remind myself and us, we don't await all the benefits. We await the savior. Now the benefits will come. But may we in our coming to this table week by week by week remind ourselves, it's Jesus we await. There's a God man we await. Not all that he's gonna do and he's gonna do it, but him, him we await in this table. Lord Jesus, for your body broken, we give thanks. Take and eat. your blood shed, poured out for us that we might never be separated from the Father. We give thanks, take and drink. Let's stand together.
we will sing these words and I want to give you some context. We're going to sing, we welcome your kingdom here. Oh, because when Christ came, he brought the kingdom in part. There's the fullness that's yet to come when he returns, right? But the kingdom is here right now, the reign and rule of God in Christ Jesus and Christ in us. And so we'll sing, we welcome your kingdom here. And what we're saying is, because we're citizens of that kingdom, therefore we welcome it. Listen, if you're not a citizen of the kingdom, you don't welcome it. We welcome it for we're citizens. And because we're citizens of God's kingdom, we'll say these words. And I want you to be reminded even as you sing them, therefore our hope won't be shaken. I.e., our, our hope won't dissipate. No, no, no. Because we're citizens of the kingdom. And death itself will not prevail. Because what Paul says here of Christ's coming, it's his promise. And his promises never, ever fail.